Welcome to the Burden and Blessing Podcast, a study and discussion forum on the truth of God's Word. Our Bible study series examines a specific part of God's Word of Truth. We pray that through this study your faith will be built up and you will grow in your knowledge and understanding of God's Word through what you hear. Thanks for joining us again on Burden and Blessing Podcast. We are continuing with our psalm study. With me today is Pastor Nathaniel Mayhew, and my name is Pastor Neil Radical. We are looking at 31 verses from Psalm 109, a wonderful psalm. Once again, where we're not 100% sure of the timeline of this, but it's definitely one that we can see a lot of different times in David's life. We'll spend some more time talking about that in a second. Good to have you with again today, Nathaniel. We should probably jump right in. We're going to try to take this in sections. We know we can't read all of the Psalms completely in these studies, but we think we can read through this whole thing. So Nathaniel, why don't you get us started? So just a little bit of an overview for this psalm, if you've got your Bibles open in front of you. As Neil mentioned, this is a longer psalm. It has 31 verses. And we can kind of divide it into three major sections. We're going to take a look at the first five verses to begin with, which is sort of a little bit of an introduction. It gives us the setting for this. And then the main part of the psalm is verses 6 to 20, which is going to get into a prayer of judgment for those that are are out to get David. And then we kind of have a little bit of a prayer at the end where the Lord would watch over him and protect him. So just so you have a little bit of background as we get into this psalm, some of the things that we're going to talk about as we go through it. So why don't we start with verses 1 through 5 that lays the foundation for the prayer that is going to come later on. We do know that this is a psalm of David. Uh, we have an introduction to it so that says the chief to the chief musician, a psalm of David. So the psalm begins. Do not keep silent, O God of my praise, for the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful have opened against me. They have spoken against me with a lying tongue. They have also surrounded me with words of hatred and fought against me without a cause. In return for my love, they are accusers, but I give myself to prayer. Thus, they have rewarded me evil for good and hatred for my love. So here's the setting, Neil. Um, we kind of get David telling us what he's facing. And first of all, what has what is what does David tell us has been his desire or actions towards the individuals he's describing here? How does he look at them? Ultimately, he's calling them wicked, but he's looking to them and saying, okay, what, am, what do I have against you? What, what, have, what have I done to get you to accuse me with these things? So he's really pleading a case. I think some of the commentators we've read before on this talk about this being a courtroom kind of situation where David wants to plead his case before the Lord and also before his accusers as well. And so he's praying about it and trying to decide, all right, how am I going to handle this? Or what am I supposed to do if, if they're lying? You know, that's a very important word in that first section you read. They are lying about what I've done. They're not being truthful. And so what do you do when it's one witness against another? Well, you got to plead before the Lord to take action. Yeah, sometimes human beings don't always see what's going on behind the scenes. Uh, I, I think about the example of Naboth and his vineyard. And how Jezebel brought false witnesses against him. And, you know, from an outward perspective, everybody might have thought that Naboth was guilty and that he deserved what he got. But that wasn't the truth, was it? It was because he had been lied about through these false witnesses. And as you pointed out, you've got deceitful, wicked, lying tongue, words of hatred, 
without a cause. That's an interesting phrase too, that David is saying, this is something I don't deserve. They're coming after me for unjust reasons. In fact, he says that they are re rewarding me evil for good. David has done good things, but they're attacking him without a cause. And then he says, and hatred for my love. So he has a love for these people, but he's not, they're not reciprocating that back. They're out to get something. So David is sort of describing a heart problem here. Well, you can see some different elements of that. I know we've talked about examples of David being wronged by Saul. You know, David was fighting for Saul, trying to protect the kingdom for Saul, protected Saul's life. All the good he did for him and Saul continuously tried to kill him, murder him. Same thing you might think with like Absalom, David's son, you know, raised him, provided for him. We don't know what his relationship was like with Absalom, you know, growing up, but that doesn't give the excuse for Absalom to overthrow and try to have David assassinated either. So you, you see these kinds of elements, these examples show that David was trying to be a God-fearing man to these individuals who basically turned it 180 degrees around and tried to have him put to death. And so now yeah, what, think, is he, what is he supposed to do? I, I think your example of Saul is really good. In the last Psalm that we studied, we talked a little bit about that with the people. David, Saul was out to hunt David down. We talked about Doeg in the last couple of Psalms. And and so that's why the psalm is fitting chronologically here at this time frame is that we have we have plenty of examples right here, right now in David's life. David played the instruments for Saul to try to, to ease him of the, the struggles that he was going through, the evil spirits that he was plagued with. He, you know, like you said, he fought for Saul, won his battles for him, killed Goliath, you know, all of these things. But what does Saul do? Without a cause, he has bad things to say about. David that are wrong, that are lies, and he's trying to hunt him down and have him killed. So it's beautiful. Yeah, it's interesting. It's very important we don't miss out on this phrase. I know we both kind of said it, you know, that do not keep silent, oh God. So basically, because the world is looking at the situation and saying, oh yeah, a lot of people in David's time said that he was he was an outlaw, that he was a traitor to the but they didn't, like you said, they didn't know what was going on behind the scenes. So he needed God to step up and really protect his reputation where the Lord was willing to do so. And so all that David could really do in these situations was give himself to prayer and to ultimately leave it in the Lord's hands. And that's context, I think, like you mentioned before, really helps us lead into the next section, section verses 6 through 20, because it helps us understand why is David saying these things? It's not because he hates these people. It's because he wants the Lord to be his defense for his for his name, for his reputation, for the wicked and evil and lying things that are being said against him. And I think it's important, uh, you could help comment on this too, where where does this come in with like the whole mind of God part? Because we know that the Psalms are inspired by God, so where does this bring in God's judgment, Nathaniel? Well, I think the key here is that this is a prayer for God's justice to be served. And when we think about justice, we only see perspective from our limited human perspective. We have to, we have to judge. You were talking about the courtroom scene in the beginning. We have to judge based on the evidence that's brought forward. But sometimes you can lie with evidence. You can present evidence that's not true. And so what, what David is doing here in connection with his issue, whether it be Saul or, like you said, in the future, maybe Absalom, he's saying, Lord, you judge the evidence. 
and you render a verdict that is correct. Now, by inspiration, David is given insight into the heart of, in this case, possibly Saul, knowing what Saul's intentions are and that those intentions, what he is doing, what he is saying, are manifested by a heart that is separated from God. And we see that in the biblical account when, when Samuel comes to Saul and says, God has rejected you. And so we have a little bit of insight into that account. But this section, as harsh as it is going to be, is exactly what we deserve as sinners when we reject God, when we do our own thing. And so this, it might seem harsh. But boy, it is important for us to understand this is exactly what we all deserve. And that is only because of what Christ has done for us that we are set free from what we deserve that's described here in these verses. Well, maybe I'll read this for us, this next section, verses 6 through 20. If you happen to be able to have a Bible open with you, it's nice to be able to follow along. But maybe channel your own thoughts on how you feel when people speak lies about what you've said or what you've done or about your character or personality or even about your God. Someone's, you know, people are lying all these things about you, and all you can do is go to the Lord in prayer. So verses 6 through 20 read, Set a wicked man over him, and let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is judged, let him be found guilty, and let his prayer become sin. Let his days be few, and let another take his office. Let his children be fatherless, and his wife a widow. Let his children continually be vagabonds and beg. Let them seek their bread also from their desolate places. Let the creditor seize all that he has, and let strangers plunder his labor. Let there be none to extend mercy to him, nor let there be any to favor his fatherless children. Let his posterity be cut off, and in the generation following, let their name be blotted out. Let the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord, and let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be continually before the Lord, that he may cut off of the memory of them from the earth, because he did not remember to show mercy but persecuted the poor and needy man, that he might even slay the broken in heart. As he loved cursing, so let it come to him. As he did not delight in blessing, so let it be far from him. As he clothed himself with cursing as with his garment, so let it enter his body like water and like oil into his bones. Let it be to him like the garment which covers him, for a belt with which he girds himself continually. Let this be the Lord's reward to my accusers, and to those who speak evil against my person. I got a couple quick thoughts. I mean, there's tons of stuff here. A couple quick thoughts that I want to share. Number one, as we read through this, you know, the first half of what I just read really sounds like David is asking for what he has been going through because of his accursors. Let it be done to them also. I think the best reference to that is verse 17. As he's loved cursing, so let it come to him. And so I think of, uh, we, we talked about before in 2 Samuel 16, you had this man named Shimney of the house of Saul, who's lost everything because of David, but not really because of David, because of Saul and his uh, walking away from the Lord. And yet Shimney was throwing rocks and hurling insults and cursing David, and David let, let, it, let it go. He just, if the Lord wants me to be cursed, I'm going to be cursed. And that's ultimately what I like when we look at all these different words, let, let, let. Ultimately, if I'm praying this prayer, I'm praying, I, Neil, need to let these things go and let it be with the Lord. You've probably heard that phrase. It kind of annoys me sometimes, let go and let God. This fits really well with this section because it's, it's good. We need to let go of those things that people do against us and let God sort it out. Let God be the one who 
brings that justice like you mentioned before. So there's a couple of first quick comments I wanna say with this very, very packed section. Yeah, I think if, again, if we, if we take this section out of its context, then we might, we, we could really struggle with this. But when we put it into the, the greater historical context of what David is dealing with and his issues with Saul that we've been talking about, look at what happened to Saul. Saul was, Saul was in a battle with a, with a foreign country. He ends up committing suicide. You know, his children end up dying. So, you know, we see this carried out historically in the life of Saul. And some of the things that are in this section might seem, again, a little bit on the harsh side in the sense that, well, why would you judge Saul's children for things that Saul did? And we have to understand that, that many times as parents or as just as individuals, our wickedness influences other people around us. And as a result, they become wicked and they also receive judgment. Now, this doesn't mean that every descendant or every person that's related to a wicked person is going to be judged or, or is going to be wicked even. But those that are, isn't that what we deserve is to receive the judgment that all of us because of our sin have brought upon ourselves? So again, this is just a very, very... Um, it is a non-cleansed version of what we all deserve. And it's ugly. And, and we have to understand that. And we see that being brought out in the way that Saul acted toward David and what he received because of the way that he was wicked. Um, when we act wickedly, we surround ourselves with, with wicked people. And usually those wicked people that we surround ourselves do the same things that we're doing. In other words, that, that affects us then in a negative way too. And, and that's kind of what, what David is describing here, but he's not just leaving it in the hands of the wicked. He's putting it in God's hands, like you said, and yeah, let think, God be just. We think those words vindication and vengeance and the Lord says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And that all, same, same idea there. They have been, I've been doing good towards them and that they've been doing evil. We really need, like you said, we really need to put ourselves in that situation where our best friend is stabbing us in the back when we've done nothing but good for them. And again, Saul is the great example of that where he was like a father to David and yet David did everything for him. And then he turned around and wanted him dead and betrayed David. I think one other quick point that I think is worth talking about is that it says, let an accuser stand in his right hand. That accuser there is actually the Hebrew word Satan. And so it's interesting that this is that same word is used primarily in Job. And it's interesting that Job talks about how Satan is that accuser who goes before us day and night. So if we can't relate to this in our, in our relationships here on this earth, we should be able to relate to it and how Satan accuses us night and day with our own sin and guilt, like you mentioned, you alluded to before. And before we leave this section, I think verse 20 is really important too, Neil, where this brings out the fact that this isn't just David's will or that he's you know desiring that somebody gets what they have coming for him. But notice verse 20 says, let this be the Lord's reward to my accusers. And when I, when I see that word reward, I can't help but think of a familiar passage in the New Testament where Paul writes, the wages of sin is death. 
but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What, what our reward is, what our wages is, what we have deserved because of our sin is God's just judgment. That is our reward. And that's what this individual or individuals that, that David was describing with and dealing with, that's what they were going to receive. Uh, but we're also going to get in as we move on in the next section to the prayer that David has. Now, David is one who realizes that he deserves the same thing that Saul or whoever this individual was. He deserves the same thing. But what is the difference between a person who receives the judgment of God, his divine justice because of our sins, and the person who receives that gift, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus? Well, that's going to be faith. And that's what David is going to pray for in this next section is that the Lord would bring this all about. So uh, do you want to take a look at verses 21 to 31? Okay, go ahead. Your turn to read. Okay. All right. So verse 21. But you, O God, the Lord, deal with me for your name's sake, because your mercy is good. Deliver me, for I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. I am gone like a shadow when it lengthens and am shaken off like a locust. My knees are weak through fasting, and my flesh is feeble from lack of fatness. I have also become a reproach to them. When they look at me, they shake their heads. Help me, O Lord, my God. O save me according to your mercy, that they may know that this is your hand, that you, Lord, have done it. Let them curse, but you bless. When they arise, let them be ashamed, but let your servant rejoice. Let my accusers be clothed with shame and let them cover themselves with their own disgrace and as with a mantle. I will greatly praise the Lord with my mouth. Yes, I will praise him among the multitude, for he shall stand at the right hand of the poor to save him from those who condemn him. Some pretty powerful verses there, too. This is not the same person. You know, you look at that first half and you're thinking, Wow. Like you said, if you were to stop there, someone might read that first through verse 20 and be like, what is wrong with this person? And you read the second half and it's just total opposite humility. Like I cannot do this without you, Lord, but there's confidance in here too. Even in our weakness, you know, when I'm weak, then he is strong. And that's definitely a nice cross-reference that Paul prayed that you see here in this section, because ultimately he finds his help. Like you said, in verse 26, he finds his help from his Lord, the Jehovah God, not just some random God, the God of the Bible, Abraham's God, Isaac's God, Jacob's God, Israel's God is the same God that gives that mercy and salvation. And so, yeah, the Lord's already answered that prayer and even though David had to patiently wait for that prayer to unfold through over the, as we've talked about before with David, many years of these battles of this fleeing from Saul of this sinful accusations from other people who maybe don't know the full story, but don't know the truth or, or speak, deliberately do lies. You know, ultimately he's looking to the Lord for that strength to endure it. And that's ultimately where we seek Christ, isn't it? The strength to endure that accusers the yeah. accuser that's one of the most beautiful things i think about the psalm is that while it's david who's writing it and it's david david who's living through it boy the parallels to, to jesus are just striking aren't they the the being condemned without cause we think about lent we think about jesus suffering and death and how he was lied about how he was tortured how he was put to death without a cause 
And, and then you think about these verses that describe the judgment of God. Think about um, when Pilate condemned Jesus and he washed his hands and the people said, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. You know, that, that was exactly what happened as a result of their rejection of Jesus as the Savior. So we've got this beautiful parallel, as you pointed out, to, to Jesus in his ministry, and that the Lord does bring good out of all of that. Through the suffering of Jesus, he brings about our salvation. He gives us forgiveness of sins. He opens up the, the door to eternal life for us. And I think that the big connection here, you mentioned in verses 21 to 25, is the humility of David that you can see. There's such a contrast between the accusers that he describes in verses 6 to 20. He talks about fasting. Well, that's certainly something that's connected to faith and trust in Jesus. He talks about his being poor and needy. And he talks about the fact that he is weak and his flesh is feeble as a result of this, this struggle that he's going through. He's pleading with God to, to resolve this issue that he's, he's dealing with, that God would be God, like you said, that he would bring his justice to bear in this particular historical event and account. Verse, well, verse 25 sounds just like Psalm 22. I've become a reproach to them. You, you think of Jesus on the cross. And when they look at me, they shake their heads. You know, they were shaking their heads on the one who they're crucifying. You had mentioned when we were talking about a verse earlier with uh, verse 8, let his days be few and let another take his office. That is quoted in the New Testament, right? You had mentioned, who was that again? Yeah, that would have been Peter when Judas died. And again, another beautiful parallel to all of this, Judas who was selfish, who lied, you know, in this whole thing, he, he, he was working selfishly in order to get something out of it. He ended up regretting that, but he went out and hung himself. And so in order to replace Judas, Peter said, quotes this verse, verse eight, and then they choose somebody else to take the place of Judas as one of the apostles, one of the, the leaders of the church. So again, very appropriate as Peter quotes this verse with Judas, but knowing the background and the, the, what was actually in Judas's heart and what led him to those decisions and to the outcome that he faced. I also think it's fascinating too, when we talked about that word Satan, because we could, we could feel like we are the, we're the victims in all of this, you know, the world's doing this to us, but then you ultimately see Jesus talking about the same thing with just, not just the Pharisees who are wrongfully accusing him, but his own disciples. We talked about Peter, where Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, because he's acting in that verb form as an accuser, one to, one to say, hey, you can't do this, but that's exactly what Jesus was coming here to do, to go into Jerusalem, to suffer and die, to go before Pilate, you know, even as he said to Pilate, you don't have power. You don't have any power over me if it hadn't been given for you above, you know, because Pilate's like, oh, don't you have the understanding that I could condemn you? I can put you to death or I can release you. And ultimately, everything we see here was for the Lord's purpose. And I really am re respectful of this psalm because I think that's what David's trying to see as well. Lord, what is the purpose in all this? I'm going to leave it to you in prayer. And I know that you're going to handle it for me. I know you're going to bring it about in your own time and own way. And that's why I love that verse 21. You, O Lord, God, the Lord, deal with me for your name's sake. In other words, you deal with it. You, you take care of this. I'm weak. I can't do it at all. You take care of it. I will continue to praise your name among the people. Yeah. That, that phrase for your name's sake, you know, 
for your glory, that you would use the events in my life, whether I have to suffer and, and, I, I, and I receive things which I might consider to be unjust and which might be unjust, but that you would use that for your glory to the, to the benefit of, of the furtherance of your name, your kingdom here on earth. What a beautiful prayer. This, this again reminds me of Jesus as we think about Lent. When he came into the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Your name be glorified. Your will be accomplished. Your kingdom come. Your name be hallowed. You know, all of those things. That was what Jesus was praying. That's what he had taught his disciples to pray and what he prayed. When the rubber actually met the road, that was exactly what he prayed as well. Such an awesome psalm. There's so much more, I think, that we both agree that we could talk about, more parallel verses that we could bring in, you know, about that whole, I mean, ultimately the epitome of doing good for someone else we see on the cross. It's pure grace. And he's doing that out of the evil that we've done to him. He's doing that in response to the evil that we've done to him. And so I like that there's that hint of that too. They've rewarded me evil for good. The Lord's been our God. We've sinned against him. And yet he still shows us that goodness, even when we don't deserve it. Romans 12 talks about that. Isaiah 53, that he went silently before the, the shears, you know, to a slaughter as our lamb. So many wonderful thoughts brought back into this, just, you know, in dealing with reputations, but like you said so well, Ultimately, for the Lord's name's sake, we go through things to glorify him and recognizing what he went through to glorify us, all the reproach, all the lies, all the all the shame, all of the all the just antagonistic accusing that they did of Jesus was all for you and for me. And that's such a comforting thing to think about. Yeah, I think as we as we focus on this psalm, it's important to just just really think about justice you know what we deserve but yet what we've received and and as you pointed out that is all because of what jesus has accomplished for us that we do not get what we deserve we get something that is a free gift from him and and when we face difficulties in our own lives it should be our prayer that not my justice is served but that god's justice is served because he knows the heart he knows what, what we really, where we are with our faith and, and in our actions and what is motivating us and, and, and his will is good and his justice will be served. Well, thank you for your time today, Nathaniel. For anyone who is listening into this discussion, study of Psalm 109, we pray that the Lord will continue to bless you and give you patience and peace as people might accuse you of this or that, whether it's true or not, let's be like David. Let's not be entitled. Let's leave it to the Lord and then let his will be done, that his name would be glorified in our calmness and our peace and our prayers of the Lord handling the situation. Hope you can join us next time on Burn Blessing Podcast. Until, until then, Lord, give you this peace and joy as we praise his name. We hope that you will join us again next week for another episode of Burden and Blessing Podcast as we continue to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Until next time, take confidence in your Savior's promise that he will always be with you, even to the end of the world.